Nom Nom delivers fresh food with whole ingredients, backed by veterinarian science. Science tells us that a dog's health starts in the bowl. So, improving their diet is one of the best ways to help them live a long and happy life. Nom Nom's food is full of proteins your dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. All you have to do is order, pour, and serve. Ready to make the switch to fresh? Order Nom Nom today. Go to https colon slash slash trinom.com forward slash curveball and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's https colon slash slash t-r-y-n-o-m dot com forward slash curveball. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by author and teacher of deaf students, Rachel Zimok. Rachel has been deaf since age 10, and she also teaches. And, you know, she's going to be coming on the show today to talk about something that affects 85% of deaf students who are trying to get their education to where people are told, their parents are told, oh, no reason to learn sign language. So Rachel wants to talk about how important it is to deaf students and and how important it is for, you know, people who are going to be working with them to learn ASL. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? So I became deaf at 10 all of a sudden. Um, it was an accident where I was playing, I was swinging, and I slipped and knocked out a bone in the inner ear. And two weeks earlier, a school test found that I was deaf in the other ear. So it was like sudden deafness when the bone broke in my good ear. So that's one thing about me. And then when I was 40, I started a teaching career. It took me a long time to to get there. But it was a teaching job at a, a public school, a regular hearing public school near my home. And they had a deaf program. So I taught the deaf class, kindergarten through third grade. And I fell in love with teaching. And I also learned a lot of kind of hard lessons about 
self-education. And that's why I wrote my book, because I was kind of shocked by what I saw and what I learned there. So explain to people what ASL actually is, for, for those who might not know, and, and what is the purpose of it? Yeah, so ASL is American Sign Language, and it has been around for a long time. It came from Indian, indigenous sign language originally, and French sign language combined became American sign language. And the deaf community uses ASA, American Sign Language. There is another kind of sign language that is not really a language. It's more of a method or a code way of using English on the hand. And that's used in schools very widely and by parents very, very widely. And it's called C-Signs. And it is not at all similar to ASL. ASL is the one that's a complete language on it, in its own right. So you say that ha having good speech makes life a little bit harder for you. Explain what it is. Yeah, it's ironic. But when I meet somebody, for example, maybe I meet a neighbor and they're hearing and they start talking to me. If I talk back to them the way I'm talking to you now, you're hearing my voice. Psychologically, they think I can hear. Even if I keep telling them, I can't understand you, I'm deaf. I'm deaf, I'm deaf, I'm deaf. I cannot understand you. Please write it down. There's something about the way somebody delivers a message. If they deliver it in speech, then the other person thinks, okay, I'm going to talk back to them. And that's how we'll communicate. So if I pointed to my ears and I said, no, if I showed them in gesture, I can't hear you, and I didn't use my voice, I just whipped out a paper and pencil and gestured everything, then they will communicate with me with paper and pencil. And I'd be able to understand them. The, the thing I'm trying to say, I guess, is that lip reading is really hard. And it doesn't work as well as people think it does. Okay. Well, explain the difference between schools for the deaf and public schools for deaf students. How, how is that different for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in California, we have two state schools for the deaf. One of them, Riverside, L.A., and one of them is in Fremont, North California. And they're both very uh, highly regarded. They're really great schools. And they both serve kids from age, I think, two 
to age 22. And they both have many deaf uh, staff members, deaf teachers, deaf principals, deaf custodians, deaf secretaries, etc. And so the children have role models, many role models, and they have many deaf friends to interact with. And their teachers are deaf. And everything is done in ASR. All the communication is done in ASR. So by comparison, 85% of our students attend a different kind of school. They don't attend deaf schools. Only 10% attend deaf schools, like the ones that I described. But 85% go to regular public schools, just the same as your children would go to. And they're put in regular classes with hearing students. And very often, they're the only deaf child in the whole school. And they don't have deaf teachers. Very often, ASL is not even used in the school by anyone. And they don't have deaf friends. So hearing people think that the kids at the deaf school are isolated in a little deaf world, but the way I see it, from a personal experience and also from teaching and from everything my friends say, deaf friends say, it's the people who are in the mainstream schools, the, the, the public schools, who are really isolated because they're not understanding their teachers and they're not understanding the other kids. And they don't have a strong base of language because they don't have ASL and they can't get an education because they're not understanding people. They're just sort of faking it. Well, give parents some best practice tips on how they can make sure that deaf or hard of hearing child does well in school. Okay. That's, that's a great question. A great opportunity for me. Thank you. First of all, I want to tell parents something that will be really hard for them to, to believe. And that is that doctors, audiologists, even administrators of schools often will not give them good advice what they're going to be taught by their doctor, the audiologist, the principal of the school in their neighborhood, they're going to be taught that, look, give your child a cochlear implant. That's surgery. It's, it's quite invasive surgery. And it is very effective for many people. But it's not a miracle. It doesn't make the child hearing. And it doesn't change the things that I believe in. It doesn't change the child's need for deaf peers, 
AFL, the deaf community, it just makes hearing people a little easier, sometimes much easier. But the doctors will tell parents, don't worry, your kid will be fine if you get them a cochlear implant and speech therapy and put them in a regular school, in a regular class, and don't learn sign language. And the professionals tell parents, if you learn sign language, your kid will start signing instead of speaking. And you want them to be able to function in the hearing world. So just put them in a hearing school and try to get them to talk. And that's very bad advice. And many parents, almost all parents take that advice because it sounds logical to them and they don't know anything about deafness. So they think, okay, all these doctors are telling me the same thing. Of course, they know better than me. The trouble is, is that all these decisions are being made without any deaf adults involved. And deaf adults are the ones who really know the issues, who really understand what the child needs. But they're not working in doctor's offices, and they're not running schools. They're not the principal of a hearing school. They're not audiologists. They're not speech therapists. And so all the people the parent meets are all going to tell them this point of view. And if that same parent had a deaf neighbor and asked what they think, they would get the opposite advice. And that's what I would give them also, the opposite advice. I would tell them, learn ASL as fast as you can learn as much as you can and expose your child to as many deaf people as you can. And that's how you have a happy child and a child that has a language. And that's how you guarantee it. And then you can also give them a cochlear implant or a hearing aid and have them take speech therapy. There's no problem doing that. But don't forget about ASR and don't forget about the opinions of deaf people. What assumptions, behaviors, or words should be avoided when you meet a deaf person? Okay, so that's a great question too. About behavior, I would say don't make any assumptions. If you meet a deaf person, don't make an assumption that, oh, they must know sign language or, oh, they must lip read or even, oh, if I write it down, they'll understand me. And don't be scared of them either. They're just people, just like you. And they want to get to know you. Don't, don't turn around in fear oh, I don't know what to do with a deaf person. I don't know how to communicate. No, what you should do is ask them, how should we communicate? And ask them in gesture or write it down. 
or talk text on your phone and say, what do you want me to do? Should I write? Should I talk into my phone? Do you want to lip read me? What works best for you? Because everybody is different. Every deaf person is different. So that's one thing. Don't make, don't assume that you know what's best for them. Ask them. And then, then do what they say. And in terms of vocabulary and words, one word that we don't like, one phrase that deaf people don't like is hearing impaired. So hearing people always use the term hearing impaired because they think it's a polite way of saying deaf. But if you think about it, what they're also saying is that there's something wrong with the word deaf. There's something wrong with openly being deaf. But I don't feel that way. I'm proud of being deaf. You're not going to insult me if you call me deaf. In fact, uh, I I'll like it. But if you call me hearing impaired, you're saying there's something about me that's impaired. It's broken. There's something wrong with me. And the broken thing is my ear. And I don't see it that way. I see the problem as being between us. The problem is that you don't know sign language. Or the problem is that our whole lifestyle is based around sound. It's nothing to do with my ear. So hearing impaired is a word to avoid. And mute is another word that it's best to avoid. And deaf and dumb is not very flattering either. So don't say dumb. <laughs> well, tell us about your book. Tell listeners where they can find it and and what they can expect when they read it. Well, I wrote this book after teaching in a public school. Sometimes they're called mainstream school for 10 years. And the children were wonderful. And many of the teachers were wonderful. And I loved teaching. But it was a very, very rough 10 years. And for many reasons. But I saw a lot of things happen. And a lot of things happened to me because I was a deaf person in that environment. And it just lit a fire under me to try and do something about it about deaf education because so many of our students go to that same kind of school and I feel like people outside of the schools have no idea what's going on inside. They don't know that their child is not really getting an education, is not really learning a language in most schools might be very depressed, might be very humiliated and lonely. And this might be their experience every day. And they can't understand their teachers, so they're not learning anything. 
So I wanted to tell people that, look, if you go inside a school, this is what's happening in many, many, many schools around the country for the majority of deaf and hard of hearing children. And then when I left, I taught for three years at a deaf school in Fremont. And I learned a lot from that experience as well. So the book is a memoir about my 13 years of teaching. And it's about individual students. It's about me and my my family and my marriage to a hearing person and the changes that I went through, identity changes over those 10 years. And then what I saw happening at the deaf school with the same students that I had taught in the hearing school, many of them went to the deaf school. So I saw them change very quickly. And one of them committed suicide. One of the students who had stayed at the hearing school committed suicide when he was 16 years old. And so the book focuses on him a lot because he was a wonderful, wonderful kid. So he's sort of the thread that goes throughout the whole book. Tell us about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. Well, I actually have an event that's happening this Saturday uh, at Book Passages in Corta Madera, Marin. We're in California. I'm not sure where you are, but I'm in California. And Book Passages is a beautiful bookstore. And for anybody that can make it, it's at 11 a.m. And I hope you do come to it. It'll be very fun. I'm trying to make it fun. I'll be reading excerpts from the book, and there will be some deaf people there and an interpreter for me and for any deaf people in the audience. And I'll be giving away some T-shirts that have a beautiful design on them, the same as the cover of my book. And then in September, on the 9th, I'm speaking in a library in Sonoma, uh, a Sonoma library, but it's in Petaluma at 1 p.m. So those are two of the events that I have coming up. Well, throw out your contact information so people can keep up with everything that you're up to. Yeah, uh, I have a new website that is www.rachelzamok.com. I kept it very simple. <laughs> Zamok is spelled Z as in zebra, E-M-A-C-H. C as in cat, and H, Zamok. And then I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and the book can be bought on Amazon or books. I think it's called Bookshop. 
or a Barnes and Noble online. And it's called the Butterfly Cage. Speaking of the Butterfly Cage, when we were in the green room, you asked, could you read a couple of short excerpts from the book? So go ahead and close us out with that and any final thoughts that you have. This is going to be about how having a deaf identity is not about how much you can hear. It's more about your values and your experience, um, what school you went to, your family. It's it's cultural. So in other words, somebody can have a lot of hearing, but they can call themselves deaf culturally. It's hard to explain to you, but maybe after I read this, you'll understand what I mean better. A funny video recently circulated on Facebook made by a deaf Latina. In it, she's dancing as she drives totally into the groove of the music on the radio, looking cool as hell. Then her teenage daughter tells her, Mom, that's not music. It's the news. At this, the woman says, Oops, and shrugs, and keeps dancing. It's happened to me too, with my hearing daughters. I've asked them why some great sounding songs on the radio were so short and what the lyrics were, only to be told that what I thought was the next big hit was a life insurance advertisement. But the thing that stood out for me about the video was the woman's spirit, the joy and the shrug. I see this joy and strength in culturally deaf people time and again. As in the case of my friend at the beach, that's another story and the girl who saved her brother, that's also part of another story. Being deaf for the woman in the car was not a hindrance. All three, due to their access to language via ASL and the critical thinking skills, a comprehension, a comprehensive language afforded them, were living their best life, deaf on their terms rather than being shaped by hearing people's view of what deaf must mean. This experience is so different from the denial and anguish and passing behaviors of those enmeshed in hearing environments, like the school where I taught. So I, I'm finished with reading my excerpt, but I do want to apologize because I introduced it um, thinking I was going to read a different one. So the introduction doesn't match what I just read you, but hopefully you enjoyed it anyway. I definitely enjoyed it, and I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it. Listeners, I know <laughs> other people are enjoyed it as well, so please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. And if you know of any deaf people that can be encouraged by Rachel's story, please uh, get this to them too. And if you have any guests or suggestion topics, cjackson102 at cox.net is the place to send them. As always, thank you for listening. And Rachel, thank you so much for 
joining us and in sharing your amazing story. Thank you for having me. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.